So, shalom, and we're on our second lecture of the Soul's Journey series, and it's called Can People Really Be Selfless? And uh, we have a sponsor today, so let me read this. Okay, we have a sponsor, um, uh, Ms. Madar Greta, uh, for her brother Yehuda Ben Miriam to have a refuah shalema. Also, um, uh, my father. My father's going for surgery tomorrow, so I want to also mention him for Rifuah Shalema, Yehuda Aryeh Hakoyhein Ben Gittel. And now we'll put this all off. We'll shut this off, and we're ready to go. Okay. So, we're now going to give a, uh, this theme that we're talking about is the lecture on the second, the second half of the first chapter of Tanya. So, the question is, can people really be selfless? So I'm going to open up to the page because I'm going to pull you some very interesting quotes, some very rough quotes, uh, sounds racist quotes. So we're going to talk about this today. So we did uh, share last week, we did establish that what we're dealing with here is two souls, not one soul that can go either way, but two souls, one soul that is absolutely egocentric, and one soul that's absolutely theocentric, one soul that's absolutely self-centered and selfish, and one soul that is absolutely selfless and divine, okay? Now, the rest of the chapter is going to talk about the soul, which is called the animalistic soul, which is selfish, egocentric, self-centered, okay? So, we spoke last, uh, last week, we uh, just mentioned that uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, follows the Aristotle format of the four elements. And we speak about how everything comes from four elements. And thus, the animalistic soul is also a composition of the four elements. And these four elements each have their traits. And we mentioned that because we're talking about the egocentric, self-centered soul, so the traits are not going to be the finer ones. So we spoke about how fire gives birth to anger and ego, fire always going up. We spoke about how ear, which has no tangibility, is vanity. We spoke about how water, which is all about bringing forth pleasure, is the element that gives forth that egocentric drive for having pleasure. And then we have the earth, which is heavy, which is depression and laziness, sadness and laziness, okay? Now we're going to talk about the animalistic soul. Can it ever be selfless? So last week we said no. However, this week I want to introduce to you that it divides the animalistic soul into two categories. Now just that you know, in Maimonides on the cover page, they used to write because there are some very, very tough laws concerning, for example, Shabbat and the Gentile and many different laws which really limits us in our trust to them and so forth and so on. So we do need to make clear, we're talking about um, Gentiles, non-Jews, that at the slightest sermon of a priest, they were out with torches burning, raping, killing, pogroms. We're talking about the type of people that will have suicide bombs specifically on children's school buses. So when you hear 
that we talk about evil, we're not saying that every single person is evil. But we are talking about people who can go on a crusade and think that they're going to plunder for religious beliefs or not. If it's within your making to be able to murder, to be able to do these things, then we're saying that your animalistic soul is going to be of the latter category, which we're soon going to explain. That concept is closed off to any selflessness. You can't be murdering, raping, and doing those type of stuff and then believe that anything you do is selfless. But there is a different category, and Maimonides talks about it, and he refers to them as chasidei umot ha'olam, the kind ones of the nations of the world. Now remember, Judaism is the religion which is not looking to convert anyone. Why not? If Judaism believes that only Jews go to heaven and only Jews are chosen and only Jews are the ones that are really connected to God, well, wouldn't it be very selfish that we don't want to share that with others? Shouldn't we try to convince people, hey, guys, come into the light? And the answer is very simple. Maimonides tells us that the Jewish people were chosen to have 613 commandments. But long before the Jewish people were chosen to have 613 commandments, the human race was chosen to have seven commandments, known as the Noahide seven laws. So therefore, there is no reason to tell a human being, you got to give up everything you believe in, convert and become Jewish, because that's the only way you can have a relationship with God. Absolutely not. God they cannot create the human race, that there should only be one nation. Only one way of serving God. So yes, the seven Noahide laws, to believe in one God, not to blasphemize his name, and all those laws, they are what define if a Gentile will or will not have a relationship with God. Leaning on last night's class, let's say if he's going to have a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Everyone has a relationship with God. The question is face-to-face -face or back-to-back. -back. So when we talk about the animalistic soul, there is a two categories. In Kabbalah, we talk about one category is called Klippat Noga, and one category is called Gimel Klippot Atmeot. You'll remember that in Genesis, it talks about Tohu Vavohu Vachoshech. Chaos, madness, and darkness so those are three levels of klipa now i just want to share with you why does kabbalah refer to evil as klipa another name it uses at other places is sitra akhra the other side so the other side we get we said there was yesterday's class um in the in the lighthouse project we spoke about face to face back to back other side means back to back okay now when we talk about klipa the definition of klipa means appeal, a husk. Now, what is the definition of a husk? It covers what's inside. So if we're going to say that within every creation there is light, so what will define whether a person is pure, holy, or other side is the transparency of the husk around the light. So if I'm so closed off 
to anything of God's light within me. Because if there wasn't God's light within me, I wouldn't be existing. It's so to everything. Even the inanimate, according to the great Arimah, he tells us that the inanimate also needs to have a spark of God within it. So everything has a light and a vessel. When we talk about the husk, we want to know the level of transparency of the husk. Something that is pure, pure and holy is 100% transparency. Something which is absolutely evil is 100% opaque. Now, I want to just make this so clear for a moment. Let's move away from human beings to a freedom of choice. And we decide at any moment the level of our transparency. Let's talk about mezuzah, tefillin, and sefer Torah. How many of you, when we pick up the Torah on Shabbos, even see cowhide? You don't even see that. Because when you're looking at the Torah, you don't see the cowhide. All you see is Zot Torah, the Holy Torah. You don't see ink made out of herbs. You don't see a cowhide. And the reason for that is because a Torah in its holiness, the physical vessel which is used for to make the Torah is absolutely transparent. And thus most of us live our whole life and we never think, I'm looking at cowhide. When we kiss our tefillin, we never think that we're kissing the same property of which lahavdo shoes could have been made of. It doesn't even enter your mind. Because something that is holy means that you don't see the physicality of it as much as you see that the physical is nothing more than a conduit to carry the word and the will of God. By the way, that is what we mean when we talk about a holy tzaddik. A holy tzaddik, what does it mean? What it means is that this person has reached that type of level in his lifestyle that he, he or she <coughs> is a walking, talking, living code of Jewish law. To the point where even in the Talmud, when they want to discuss law, they'll argue verses this and that, and then someone will say, I saw Rab Yossi, Rab Yosef, or Abaya, or Rava do this. They stop arguing. Because that man, if he did it, you can be absolutely sure that he checked it out in the Code of Jewish Law, and that's what you're supposed to do. Or that's what you're allowed to do, or that's what you're not allowed to do. That means that when I look at this person, a sage from the Talmud, I see total transparency that this is the code of Jewish law in real time. The ultimate expression of that amongst the human beings was Moses. Because the Talmud says concerning Moses, he had a stutter, but when he came to deliver the word of God, he didn't stutter. And why didn't he stutter? Because it says, that wasn't Moses talking, it was God speaking through his voice box. Same thing when we talk about prophecy, but on a much lower level. Prophets don't have God talking through their voice boxes, they have visions, that means God presented himself, the message of God presented himself, Maimonides talks about it, exactly how it works, and that's what he gives over. So we now understand that the more that the physical husk or even spiritual vessel is transparent, the more we're talking about selfless, the more we're talking about godliness. 
Now, when we're talking about anything which is not 100% transparency, here we're going to break it into two categories. One is called klipat noga. The word noga means light. The word klipa means husk. For example, when you peel an egg, you'll know that there's two husks. One is the thick white one that you can't see through, and one is the transparent membranes. Mystically, spiritually, this means my ego can be in one of two levels. My ego could be total transparency. Once again, quoting Pharaoh who told Moses, who am God, who is God that I should listen to him. I'm very happy to hear that God said, let my people go. But, but by the way, King Pharaoh said no. To the point where in Kabbalah, when we talk about evil, true evil, we don't use the number 10, we use the number 11. Why? There's no such thing as 11 in the world of Kabbalah. There's always 10 emanations. The difference is that in holiness, we count 10 because the vessel and the light is not separate. So the light is in the vessel. So when you count the 10 vessels, you're already counting the light within. But in impurity, because the vessels are 100% opaque, they don't allow for any transparency. Thus we say 11, 10 vessels and one light. That's the way it works with impurity and evil. Now let's go to the animalistic soul of the human being. So we speak about the Hasidi Umot Olam. We talk about the people who are kind, who live a just life. And they live, there is the husk, there is an absolute transparency, but there's also light that's shining through. There's not 100% opaque. Of these people, what we're about to say does not apply. But then there are the people who we know very well, and really, honestly, we don't have to go to the biggies, Hitler, Amalek, and all those people. We know today that there are people that they just are evil. Murder and all these stuff. So these people are 100% opaque. And thus there's no light that's going to be able to shine through them. Okay? I do want to make a very clear statement. A little getting out of class, but um, I, I do want to make this and then move right on. You know, we have a bad nature of generalization. Everyone hates when it's done to their group, but we're very quick to do it to others. Right? You and I all know that there are Jewish people that have made very big mistakes. And their mistakes have made it, unfortunately, to the news. And we do not like when people say, Oh, you see what the Jews do? Madoff was a Jew. Weinstein's a Jew. All Jews are tax invaders, stealing, all having, you know, sexual stuff going on that's forbidden, and, you know, all that stuff. Everything that's going to be in the court, we hate that, right? Because it's not. There are Jews who do this. There are Jews who don't do that. Okay? I just want to share it that way with every single, every single group. To go ahead and say all Muslims before fall into a certain category because it's so high in the news of how many of them are bombing and killing and this and that would be wrong. The same thing for any ethnic group, the same thing for any race, the same thing for any gender. It doesn't exist. Okay? The only time the Torah ever refers to a specific lineage 
that the entire lineage is evil is known as Amalek. And Amalek today doesn't have an identity as a nation. Because when Sancherev came and he conquered the world, he moved everyone around. So there is no known Amalek. The last known Amalek is in the Megillah. Haman is called Haman Ha'agagi because he's Haman, the offspring of Agag, who was the king of Amalek, who was killed by Samuel the prophet. Okay? So please, do not stop pointing fingers. I learned in Tanya that there are certain groups. No. Not what we're going to do here. Okay? Now let's go further. The next thing it says here is you should know that the self-centered attributes come from the animalistic soul. Then he goes on, you say, you should know that in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life, which was absolutely pure transparency to goodness. But then there is the tree of knowledge, which carried both. So much so that we have a Medrash, we have a Talmud, we have in Hasidus, it says, it quotes it all the time. Since Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, there is no good which has no bad, there is no bad which has no good. What's that symbol? Um, the white, the yin and the yang, right? There's a reason why those dots are there. There's no white that doesn't have a dot of black, and there's no black that doesn't have a dot of white. Okay? What does that mean? That means that the tree of knowledge is not what we spoke about last week. It's not absolute egocentric, and it's not absolute theocentric. It's not absolute selfish. It's not absolute selfless. Thus, the type of evil that comes through many contractions, remember, the tree of knowledge was in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden didn't have a tolerance for anything that was impure. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, they had to leave. The Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge didn't have to leave. But through contractions and concealments and the evolution from the infinite to the finite, the outcome of that is that there is an evil which is called mundane. So I don't even want to use the word evil no more. Over here, we're going to talk about it as that which is not selfless and that which is not selfish. Thus, within there, you're going to have a combustion of different type of talents, different type of traits. That which is selfish, that which is selfless. Now, for example, the famous story about King David, uh, he said upon a certain nation that we will never allow those people to convert into the Jewish nation. Why? Because they took a horrific revenge on Saul and Jonathan. And he said that there are signs of the Jewish people, and the signs are, and I'm going to tell you three of them, but the Alter Rebbe only quotes two and writes, etc. And I'm going to share with you why. He writes, they're compassionate, they do acts of kindness, and they're timid. By Shanim. But the Alter Rebbe doesn't quote the last one. He just says, etc. Why? I'll tell you why. Because what he's trying to say here is, in the genetics of the animalistic soul, which comes not from pure evil, but from the Klippat Noga, from the tree of knowledge, which has both good and bad, so there is genetic traits which are good. The genetic traits which come from the animalistic soul, which has the Jewish animalistic soul, which has the combustion of both, is only the first two. Compassion and acts of kindness. Our sages tell us the reason why Jewish people have a timidness is because what happened at Mount Sinai. 
because they stood face to face with God, they heard the voice of God and were taught that their souls left their bodies. Every single word and utterance that they heard of God, you remember they went running to Moses, no, 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 please you talk, we can't handle this. But because they experienced that, there is a timidness which was branded into them. Thus the Altarebbe doesn't quote it as a genetic which comes from the tree of knowledge, but it was later in the year 3348, <coughs> it was branded into them when they stood at Mount Sinai. Okay? Bottom line is that unlike last week where we were talking about two absolutes, we're now seeing within the absolute of selfishness, egocentric, the outcome of the contraction of the one-way mirror, we now have two categories. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about the latter category. We're talking about truly evil people. I want to show you some of the really harsh things it says. So first, we're going to go ahead and we're going to quote from Rab Chaim Vital. So just that you know, Rab Chaim Vital is the student of the great Ari, of Isaac Luria. Whenever we talk about Kisve HaRizal, the writings of the Arizal, the Arizal didn't write anything. His students wrote. Rab Chaim Vital is the authority. Just like in the Talmud, for example, you have many different teachings, Bryce's, but not all of them is an absolute authority that you can't argue with. But when you have Rab say something, he was the apprentice of the great Rebbe, Yehuda Nasi. So too, the Eitz Chaim, the, which was written by Rab Chaim Vital, the pre-Eitz Chaim, those books that were written by Rab Chaim Vital, they are the authoritative word of what that result says. Now, you should just know, just give you some interesting info. When Rab Chaim Vital died, he gave, he left a, uh, a last will and testament that all his writings have to be buried with him, which means that we would not have any more authoritative voice on the teachings of that result. They had no choice because he said to do it, so they buried it with him. Later, they came back and said, we did what you said, but now we need to take it back because we need the teachings. And they dug up just to where the teachings were. They took out the teachings, and that's how we still have it. He writes something which is really amazing. He writes as follows. He writes a statement. This is in the book of Eitz Chaim, Tree of Life, Shar Mem Tes, Gateway 49, Peri Gimel, Chapter 3. All the goodness that is done, any goodness that is done by the nations who are idol worshippers, they're doing it only for their own benefit. A statement. It's impossible for those idol worshippers to be selfless. It's impossible. Then the Altrebbe goes further and he quotes the Gemara. That was a source from Kabbalah. Like it says in the Talmud, and that is in Tractic Baba Batra, on the verse that comes from Mishli, Proverbs, and the verse says, and the kindness of the nations is a sin. And then the Gemara says, and what does that mean? And it explains why. Because every charity and kindness that the nations of idol worshippers do, it's only in order to show off, to get glory. Now, obviously, 
when you read these verses, your stomach turns. <coughs> right? You're going to have two extremes. One's going to say, no, 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 of course, that's the way it is. That's one extreme that isn't getting it. And then there's another extreme. I'm sorry, <laughs> Rabbi, I'm going to have to stop coming to this class because you're teaching here this type of stuff, which is just absolutely absurd. They're both extremes. So let's see what the truth is. So number one, I want to share with you. The verse that says that the kindness for nations is a sin, I just want you to know that in Hasidus we quote, we quote right, left, and center that the word chatas <coughs> has two meanings. One is sin. We know what that is. One means lacking. Incomplete. It's lacking. Okay? And we quoted from Saul that said that verse. So, but the bottom line is it says something very, very racist. It doesn't say there are people amongst the Jews and amongst the Gentiles that do things selflessly. There are people amongst the Jews and the Gentiles who don't do things selflessly. He's saying that there is a category, and again, remember, these sages were living in the times of pogroms and then, and, 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 you know, inquisitions, and then, you know, so evil was evil. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but let's talk about this. How many Jews do you and I know that if you don't put the name on the building, you can forget about them keeping their pledge? How many have whole contracts on the glory that they need to have the exact wording of the plaque and how large it has to be. And Rabbi, why is it here? Because when you drive from this direction, you can't see that. So put two of them. Really? But one second, we just said, oh, those other Gentiles, they do it for self-glorification. Jews don't. Really? <laughs> really? It's funny when you grow up and, you know, you start finding out. I remember the first time I found this out, I was like mortified because these were like my giants. I found out that, you know, when you see an ad or in, in uh, like the magazine, the Jewish magazine, I found out that all these titles are actually edited by the person that they were written on. Like, really? <laughs> and these are already people who are studying and unrighteous and this and that. What's going on here? So what's this saying? Not a simple issue. So we need to get to the core of it. Let's get to the core. Yeah, but he's saying, he's not saying here humans. It would have been beautiful if the Eitz Chaim and the verse in Mishli and the Gemara would have said humans. It didn't say humans. If it would say humans, it's everyone. It doesn't. It divides. It divides a nation from 70 nations. And even though we today know that it doesn't mean all 70 nations, because clearly the Chasti Umata Olam don't have that type of animalistic soul. They have each levels of transparency. He's talking about those that are completely okay. So I want to just share with you what's really going on here. You find it racist to say that people don't do things unless there's an ulterior motive. I'm going to share with you that it is inhuman to say that anyone can do something which isn't in some form or fashion ulterior motives. So I don't see this being a statement against the humans that have to have some gain at some level as much as I see it. What, what is it saying? That Jews can do otherwise? The people those that come from the tree of knowledge, good and bad, not complete, they could be selfless at any level? Now let's think about this. Let's think about it. 
There's a reason why people have their choice of charities. There's a reason why this guy doesn't give to organizations, only gives directly to poor people. This guy only gives to education. This one only gives for battered women. This one only gives for drugs. This one only gives for third world countries. There's a reason why. And the reason is because this touches me. But the others give to other places. Well, the minute goodness about what touches me, that's not selfless. That's not selfless. So no, I want you to put it as anonymous. <laughs> I told you what the Rebbe of Blessed Memory once said. Rebbe of Blessed Memory once said, what's called someone, the verse says, you should be hidden in your ways with God. Hasna lalechet. So the Rebbe once explained, the person who's praying with meditation and, and, and concentration, he hides. He doesn't want everyone to see. But while he's hiding, he's hoping that at least one guy should catch him. <laughs> so now, not only does he know that I pray so deeply, he even knows that I hide. <laughs> and the Rebbe was saying it, that that's human nature. Because remember last week's class, anything post-bet is facing, even when he looks up to God, is facing a one-way mirror. So what we need to understand here is, and I'm going to share with you a story. The story isn't mine. I don't want to put it in my name. It's actually by a very great lecturer and thinker and speaker and teacher of Hasidus. You probably heard his name. He's actually in town here right now. His name is Rabbi Manas Friedman. I heard him give an example, and that example really, I didn't hear it directly from him. I heard his name, and it really helped me a lot. Here's a simple story. There's a guy who has a big company, and he has a payroll. And he goes over to someone who has 12 kids, such a muscle, he can't pay his bills. And he tells him, listen, just show up every Friday by payroll. It'll be a check waiting for you. Just like everyone else gets an envelope. No one knows everyone who works here. He'll take it. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. Nope. One week, he doesn't pick up his paycheck. The guy says, hey, is everything okay? Do you want me to deliver it to you? He says, no, 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 no. I want you to know that this week, I actually was able, I was hired. I was hired. Hand. And I actually was able to make my own money. What is the feeling of the giver? One of two feelings. One feeling is I'm happy for you. Because I know that finally this Friday night when you sit down by your table, you'll look around, you'll know that your children are eating from the sweat of your brow and the work of your hands. Right? What does the sages say? I'd rather have one measurement of mine, the nine measurements of yours given to me. There's honor involved. It's not the bread of shame. So I'm happy for you. You didn't need my charity. But on the other hand, I'm like, I feel empty. I'm not needed. You know that there's extreme cases of this, right? Mothers that put their kids in danger because they need to always save them. There's the person who gave their whole life to their spouse, and when their spouse dies, they So, true selflessness is not within the human trait. Our sages say no one sins for the other person's benefit. Our sages say that when two people are working together, there will only be good come out of it. Why? Because my godly soul is willing to selflessly help yours. Your godly soul is, willingly, is willing to selflessly help mine. However, my animalistic soul 
is not here to help you fulfill the desires of your animalistic soul unless there's something in it for me. So I want to share with you that when we say, when the Talmud says, when the verse says, when the Eitz Chaim says, that there's no such thing in the lineage of the animalistic soul which has zero transparency to light, it is impossible to have selflessness. Selflessness is not a creature's capacity. It is only divine capacity. Let's take it to the next level. The vessel does not have the capacity to be selfless. The, the light has the capacity to be selfless. And thus the vessel that does not allow any of the light to shine through it, it's impossible for that human being, that creature, who is the product of symptom, the separation between God and creation. Now there's a creator and there's a creation. It's no more God is everything and everything is God in the paradigm of the creation. That's the whole purpose, why God created in a detached way. To give me freedom of choice, to think that I am someone who could tell God yes or no. We mentioned yesterday, if I can't tell God no, then my yes is in freedom of choice. So God created in the genetics of every creature, which is post-beth aberration, post-symptom, post-contraction, that it is impossible to truly be selfless. Because at the end of the day, the creature that has an identity must see that themselves as a center of the universe. <coughs> if not themselves at the center of the universe, those they love as a center of the universe. Again, it's because I love you. Thus, if you want to look what the Eitz Chaim is really saying, if you want to look what the verse of King Solomon in Proverbs is saying, if you want to look what the Talmud in Baba Basra is saying, he's telling you a simple thing. If you are a, a post-symptom creature, then you cannot be absolutely selfless. It's just impossible. There's something I've got to get from it. And even if I'm able to reach the finer, the finer gifts of pleasure, what does the finer gifts of pleasure mean? The finer gifts of pleasure is that there's no pleasure more than me knowing that I just anonymously gave, truly anonymously, no one knows, and I did a kindness. That, that is the deepest sense of pleasure. Even that, the mere fact that there's a pleasure means that it's not selfless. Because the day where I'm not feeling pleasure is the day where I'm not going to do it. Thus we now understand what the Rebbe is saying in Tanya. He's drilling home. The animalistic soul from its own perspective must be selfish. And that's a huge difference. I want to just take this out there. That's the huge difference between people who are fighting for humanitarian causes. I said this once at Federation. I said Jews don't have humanitarian causes. Jews have divine causes. The reason why I need to save another life is because that other life was created in the image and likeness of God. And God told me that every piece of him is precious. So much so that the Egyptians were drowning in the sea of reeds. And the angels started singing glory. God snapped at the angels and said, my creatures are being obliterated and you're singing? Thus we understand that we don't have humanitarian causes. We have divine causes. We do 
what we do to call Hebrew national because we answer to a higher authority. That's a whole different bowl of wax. Does that mean that I'm going to find within a group of 10 Jews, even two of them that's willing to give and fund without having any mention? No. But what it does mean is that every Jew <coughs> has the potential to do that. How can they have a potential to do that is only because even, first of all, their godly soul, which we're going to learn there, is, is a creature that slipped by the system without having to go through the transformation of symptom. We'll begin that next week. But even more than that, even the animalistic soul is a mixture because its roots is not an absolute evil and separation. Its roots is in the tree of knowledge. So I do want to share something. We said clearly that today I would say a majority, a vast majority of Gentiles that you and I know have the animalistic soul which comes from the Garden of Eden from the Tree of Knowledge. Really, it is so shameful that our media is always about hype and hype is never about good things. Ratings don't go up when you talk about the Iman who's preaching love from the Quran. It just doesn't go up. Put some nasty pictures, heads off, hands off, buses, fires. Now we got some ratings. That's a shameful part of our human race. But with that being said, you should know that those who are completely evil are truly a small minority of the human race that's making a lot of noise. So from chapter 1, when we're not talking about the godly soul, we don't need to separate this between the Jews and the non-Jews. We're separating it between people who are 100% opaque. They don't allow any divinity to shine through them versus those who have some transparency. Now, just because you have a transparency doesn't mean you're going to be selfless. What it means is that you're potentially selfless. Thus there's a teaching that when 10 Jews are gathered together, even angels shake. Why? It could be that they're talking gossip. It could be that they're doing very selfish things. But in there is a quorum of potential transparency to God. That's enough to trigger the angels. While the angels that don't have freedom of choice, they are not potential selflessness, they are actual selflessness. And by the way, even an angel is not 100% selfless. Because even the angel has its limitations of its openness to divinity, and that's why there are so many different levels. There's 10 different levels of angels. In spirituality, the difference of one level of another level is just the level of transparency and capacity. So for this chapter right now, we're making a very interesting statement. Human beings are incapable of being selfless. Divinity is the gift of selflessness. Within us, we have a soul, an animalistic soul. I'm not even talking about the godly soul yet. We're talking about the selfish soul. We have a soul that's a mixture of both. 
Now you need to decide whether you're going to let the light shine through or you're going to caress the vessel. I want to take it one step further and tell you, you know, I talk a lot about um, addiction recovery. There's a very interesting concept in addiction recovery. And I want to take it back to the story of the Baal Shem Tov. There's a story of the Baal Shem Tov that before he died, they asked him, Rebbe, how do we know who is your successor? And he said, the successor is the person who will be able to answer this one question. How does one find humility? What's the trick? What's the recipe for certainty in having humility? So he told the Rebbe, even if a guy gives us the answer, we won't know if the right answer. Tell us the answer so we should know. And he said, the answer is that there is no recipe. It's impossible. You need to get and pray. Pray, 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 pray. What's the, what's the secret behind that story? Now we know. Let's go to chat. Let's go to addiction recovery. In addiction recovery, it's very clear. You read a book, you read Bill's story, or you read about the alcoholism, whatever you want to read, read the old, the, you know, whichever chapter. I shouldn't say whatever you want to read. Because if you don't read the big book, then you're not reading recovery. You're reading some wonderful stuff, but it's not recovery. In real recovery, this 12-step program, it clearly says that we are incapable of breaking out of the bondage of self. That's what the Baal Shem Tov said. Thus, what do you do in recovery? You get on your knees and you pray. So what are you praying for? God, please free me of the bondage of self. In other words, I'm asking you, God, please free me from being such an egocentric, self-centered, self-will, <laughs> narcissistic, selfish. Really? Why do I have to pray to God for that? Just stop. We can't stop. Why can't we stop? Because we are a creature of post-symptom. If post-symptom, then even when we look up to God, all I see is a mirror. God is God because he created me. Not because he's God. He's God because he created me. It's all about me. How can a Mimi ever break free of the bondage of self? That's what the Eitz Chaim is saying. That's what the verse of Mishli is saying. That's what the Gemara is saying. It's saying that human beings, part of the system of self and egocentric self-identity separated from God are impossible, incapable of being selfless. When you do find any selflessness, you should know that you're dealing with a husk that's not 100% opaque. And thus, the real way to get selfless is not by transforming self, but by getting self out of the way. So the topic is, can human beings, can people really be selfless? The answer is no, but the answer is yes. The answer is no, because human beings can't. The answer is yes, because there's a piece of God within each of us. Not the piece of God, which is the godly soul. That's above and beyond. We're not even up to that yet. Even within your animalistic soul, there's light and vessel. And as long as your vessel is not 100% opaque, you, the vessel, cannot be selfless. But you, the one that lets the light shine through, can do acts of selflessness. Thank you very much.